Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. And I guess my puppy Pretzel, who is not on Twitter, but he is <laughs> a, a special, well, he wasn't, a, he's not a special guest because he's not going to be on the podcast, but he's sitting here listening to me and whining. So I guess he'll be our audience member for the evening. Well, we, we could ask him how he feels about David Poyle's job security and see what he says, if you want. Like, we could do that. You want to ask Pretzel him about that? Seems, Pretzel seems to have no comment on that. <laughs> yeah, he's just staring at me. He just so wants to do it or something. Make sure you pay for good journalism, of course. Go to The Athletic. Uh, always really, really amazing stuff, of course, at that website. Pay for good journalism. Uh, and, and keep Adam employed, frankly. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And so we, we do appreciate that. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show, of course. Please share it. Tell all your friends, post it on Reddit or whatever, do all of that good stuff. Um, lots of stuff to do on the show today, Adam. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, one of the best national writers in the business covering the NHL. We're going to get his thoughts on the Nashville Predators and what's coming next for this organization. We'll talk with him. Of course, uh, we will have a reaction after the interview, so stay tuned for that. And we'll dive into the schedule coming up as well as some power rankings like we usually do. Uh, and of course, an, an Adam Vingan valentine's day story to wrap up the show you're not going to want to miss that uh we'll dive into pecorine versus uc saros you had a story about that out on monday of this week uh we'll dive into some people critiquing the media and i'll we'll get your thoughts on that adam uh and of course was detroit rock bottom but uh first of course before you began before you began was that a play on detroit rock city no but i'm not i'm not i'm not that good i'm not that talented because i thought that was a play on detroit rock city detroit (laughs) rock bottom if not, I mean, you should have just said yes and taken credit for it. Well, yes, we've got our episode title now, though. That's for sure. There we go. <laughs> Detroit Rock Bottom is now the episode title. Before we get started, remind everybody that the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers on West and the next evolution of the sports bar. Of course, all the vibes of your neighborhood watering hole, except for with like a menu by Deb Paquette, who is spectacular. Uh, free parking, tons of space to be socially distanced and check out our cocktail. Adam. I am. We are recording this portion of the podcast in the evening time, which we normally don't get to do because of hockey games generally and like children and, you know, wives and stuff. But I am I'm having a cocktail tonight and I, I thought about trying to replicate the gold standard at home. And I am I am not a mixologist, so I cannot make the gold standard. You can only get that at Jasper. So instead, I'm drinking straight, straight bourbon tonight. So there you go. There it is. I used to drink straight bourbon when I wanted to appear cultured in my early 20s. I, um, I just don't want the calories. I hear that. I had a lot of <laughs> I had a lot of rough nights drinking bourbon. Here's a fun story. Oh, uh, sidebar so, right out the gate. So go to Jasper's, by the way. Go to Jasper's where you can drink straight bourbon and the gold standard and eat delicious food. But December 31st, 2014. New Year's Eve, the day before the Washington Capitals host the Chicago Blackhawks in the Winter Classic. So I'm still covering the Capitals at the time. And my parents had come for the game. So in the evening, I had dinner with my parents. And then I went to meet some friends out in downtown D.C. And Mm. a couple of straight bourbons later. Is this K Street? No, not K Street. (laughs) I had a cup near, not far from K Street, but not K Street. So a few bourbons in, a few straight bourbons in, I was a mess. Um, at one point, my friends had to force feed me chicken nuggets from McDonald's um, <laughs> just to get me to eat something. I ended up passing out 
on the bathroom floor of my friend's hotel, my friend's hotel room Ooh. who they, they lived in, in suburban Virginia, but got a hotel for the night so that they could be closer to the game and they could go out on new year's Eve ended up <laughs> falling asleep on their bathroom floor face down because it was nice and cold. I ended up getting up in the, in, you know, six o'clock in the morning, taking an Uber back to my apartment in Arlington, Virginia, t- taking a shower, getting dressed, and then going to Nationals Park to cover the Winter Classic, hungover. It's to this day the only time and, and will be the only time I ever covered a game hungover. I would not recommend it, but that's what happens when you drink bourbon. But if you drink the gold standard, that won't happen. Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, listen, go to Jasper's where they don't let you pass out on the bathroom floor. That's another there, great, there are, there another are great motto. Places there are worse places to pass out when you're when you're <laughs> drunk than on the bathroom floor, on a cold tile bathroom floor. Oh, my wife's gonna hate me for this, but I do have a photo of her, I believe, uh, from our very very early dating years. Uh, I believe on my bathroom floor. So, Haley, I'm sorry, I love you. <laughs> um, all right. So, by the way, go to Jasper's. Great food, great place to watch the game, especially if you want to drown your sorrows watching this god awful hockey team. So. We will get to a lot of stuff today on the show. Two games got canceled, so we do not have any Dallas Stars games to talk about. Technically, they got postponed. Sorry, sorry. You're right. Postponed. I don't, you know, it sounds like everybody tried to get the games on. And, you know, we're obviously locked down here in Nashville. But, you know, people in Texas don't know. I've lived in Texas for six years. People in Texas don't know how to drive in the snow. So I'm not really surprised that they've postponed those two games. So Well, they have single digit. I think they were, well, they are the state of Texas was experiencing single digit temperatures yeah. and, and snow that the state of Texas is not equipped to handle. And I guess the American airlines center um, where the Dallas stars and the Dallas Mavericks play is on the critical infrastructure power grid that also powers like hospitals and stuff. <laughs> so they did not want to drain power by playing a hockey game versus people who actually needed it um you mean so, in, you mean in a pandemic prioritizing hospitals over sporting events is and just the general sports. well-being of people who are without power in sub-freezing temperatures with no heat here's the question is it a bad time to get games canceled against dallas i know they got their asses whipped the last time they went to dallas but dallas has lost five straight like I know the joke is, oh, the Preds didn't play on Monday and Tuesday, so they couldn't have lost because they obviously I got plenty of those, trust me. Right, but like, could you actually argue it's the other way around? Like, (laughs) it might have actually been a chance to go out and maybe play against a team that's not playing well. Right, and they're also injured. Like, I think Rope Hintz was a game-time decision. I think Alexander Radulov might be out, so they're not at full power either. No pun intended, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it might have actually been a saving grace for both teams that they didn't play these past few games, the NHL um, earlier this evening, earlier Tuesday evening, released a, 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 a slew of reschedule rescheduling, you know, dates for games that had been postponed. Neither of the Predators stars games were among them there. They are to be announced at a later date. Hopefully both games get in. I mean, at this rate, the likelihood that every team plays 56 games is slim. Um, of course, we already know that considering how many teams have missed significant time because of COVID-19 related protocols. I'm not sure of what I'm not sure what the weather is in Columbus, um, probably just as bad as it is everywhere else, except southern Florida, which apparently was like 95 degrees in Miami. Those people can kiss my butt. Um, 
dealing with the stuff we're dealing with right now. So, um, so you say you don't like the you don't like the snow? I love. The, I took the two kids out the last couple of days. We went sledding. I, we had a blast, man. I love. The I don't snow. mind the I snow. Love it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Everybody out there, be safe. Of course, listen. Easy on the gas. Easy on the brake. Test your traction. It's really not that hard to drive in snow. Just be careful and everybody take their time. All right. Did you see that video of the um, of the the SU the the, the like truck F one fifty that was like sliding down the yes. street in Franklin. Yep. Yeah, oh, good old good good old West Haven probably knocked a few pineapples off the porch there down there. Um, all right. So Detroit, the loss. I don't I don't really have anything to say about the win. I just want to quickly ask something about the loss because it felt like it encapsulated the entire season in one 60 minute performance. They were atrocious in the first two periods, outscored, I think, 37 to 13, I believe, through the first 37 two to 13 in the first two periods this season. The only thing it was missing was a couple of power play goals from Detroit, and it would have been literally the entire season encapsulated. It, was that the bottom? It, do Preds fans feel like they can actually come up from that or, or, or what? I don't, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just, I don't know what you make of it, but, but going into the third period down three, nothing to one of the worst teams in the entire NHL at home after losing whatever it is, like eight out of 11, it, it, I'm not, I can't imagine it gets any worse than that. Well, you didn't want to touch on the game on Thursday, which they won by the way, but I remember tweeting after that game, good news, the Predators win. Bad news, the Predators were in a dogfight with the Detroit Red Wings. Like, especially after seeing the games against Tampa that preceded the games against Detroit. Like, the town, like you could tell this seemed more like the Predators' speed, which is not a good thing when the team you're comparing them to is the Detroit Red Wings, one of maybe two or three teams in the NHL worse than the Predators in the standings. So that was the first that so while they won the game on Thursday, it left you with an uneasy feeling like, yeah, they won, but they escaped. They had needed a goal with like 95, 59 seconds left, a goal that probably has a which would have a low percentage of going in. It was a point, you know, a point shot that went through a maze of bodies, you know, from Dante Fabro. The game on Saturday definitely felt like rock bottom because it, they just showed no effort like. And, and I'm always I'm always wary of criticizing a team's effort because like it's an intangible thing. And like they're like we talked about this on the previous podcast, like I will never call a professional athlete lazy because to be a professional athlete, you have to have drive like I'm lazy. Like you don't have to like don't I can't <laughs> call a professional athlete lazy, even if that even if that's what their reputation might be. So effort is a hard thing to call into question sometimes, but like the things that the players were saying after the game, like Philip Forsberg saying we weren't dialed in, like what does, first of all, what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? And second of all, you know, who's, and I asked Philip this question, like who, who does that fall on? Is it the players in the dressing room, making sure that you're prepared to play? Is it up to the coaching staff to motivate you? And he didn't really have an answer. And like the frustration is palpable from these players because they feel like they can do better. Now, whether they can is an open question for the rest of us, but I look at their, I I look at that game and and they like the Red Wings were clearly the better team on the ice. Like that should never be the case. Like there, there is no team in this league with the exception of Ottawa, who by the way was down five, one to Toronto and one six, five in overtime the other night. With the except, there's no other team that should be on, you know, that should be worse than Detroit, like that should look that bad playing Detroit, and the Predators did. 
And, you know, that is a concern. And certainly the, uh, the angst uh, was ratcheted up to a, an, all, a, an all-time high, at least in my experience, based off of what happened after that game. Well, and what's interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about this with Greg Wyshynski coming up, and, and you and I will have some comments following the interview, but Ryan Ellis, once again, is sort of the guy who just sits there and just calls the shit what it is which is it's unacceptable, it's not good enough, and it's on us. It's our fault. The only people to be blamed are the people in the locker room. And we'll, we'll get to some some of the questions that were asked in the media and all that stuff in, in just a minute. But I'm just, you know, once again, Ellis is the guy who, who feels like he doesn't love the microphone. He's not out there on social media. He's not one of those kind of guys. But when, when you need to sort of know what's real about this team, he tends to be the guy that delivers that message. Yeah, he he does not suffer fools, as the saying goes. He, as you said, he is blunt. Um, he, you know, in, in in previous, you know, pre-pandemic times when you're in the dressing room, I mean, he is not afraid to challenge reporters. He's not afraid to be a little, you know, salty, you know, especially after they lose. Um, but Ryan Ellis carries a significant amount of weight in that dressing room. Um, there's a reason why he is the quote unquote associate captain. Um, because if not for Roman Yossi, he would have been the captain of this team. Ryan Ellis is the kind of guy that you could see getting in guys' faces, like the guy, the, basically the person that Predators fans wish Roman Yossi was, <laughs> like at least publicly. You know, I remember when that decision was made, it, was, it came down between Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, and Peter Laviolette called both of them into his office one at a time and asked if you aren't captain, who would you want to be captain? And Roman said, Ryan and Ryan said, Roman. Yeah. So like, that's, you, you know, that's pass. kind you of, both, you, bo- you both pass. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So let's, yeah. I, I want to do I have a quick media before we get to both of your articles this week, which are excellent. Go read them at the athletic, of course, about UC Saros, Pecorine, as well as some trade options, which we'll dive a little bit deeper into with Greg Wyshynski coming up in just a minute. Um, but quickly, the, the media, there seems to be, I do think that Nashville media writ large, not just Predators media, is relatively soft in general relative to like Philadelphia or Chicago or New York or whatever. I think Nashville's a pretty chill, laid back, relaxed place to be. And I think the media can kind of fall into that as well. But but I also don't think the media is not asking tough questions of these players. I, I just, you know, you're you're probably the hardest question asker, if that's a thing. <laughs> like you don't pull any punches, but I think... Other people, I mean, anytime I ever had Peter Laviolette on the show and I said, how do you fix the power play? Like, what else am I supposed to ask him? Right. Am I supposed to be a dick about it and just be like, hey, <laughs> douche, why, why does your power play suck? Or should I just say, I don't think you can ask any tougher questions than that are what, like, what else are you supposed to ask right now? I, I don't know. I'm, and I'm not well, attacking the, I'm not attacking the fans. The fans want answers and I understand why they want answers. So it's not an attack on them. I just think that I'm not sure what else anybody can say, players, media or fans right now. Yeah, and and it was your former co-host, Nick Hale, who ignited the firestorm on Saturday night. Um, and I, you know, perhaps I overreacted. Um, but it is a take that I have heard multiple times since I've lived here. And you think of the more, diff- you know, the tougher sports markets what are the the ones that come to mind new york philly's number philly and new york are number philadelphia 
we don't have splits. We first of all, we only have one newspaper in town. That's one thing. Two, we don't have splashy back pages like the New York Daily News and the New York Post, where they can, you know, rip on people with size fifty six font or whatever it is. It's probably bigger than that. It's a different. It's a different landscape in Nashville, and I think fans are aggravated, and they have every right to be. And they want answers. And there are there are a select few of us who have the opportunity to speak to the players and John Hines and David Poyle. And those fans want to feel like we in the media hear their concerns and and bring them to the people in charge. And, and that's basically the responsibility of journalism to begin with. The, the idea that we are quote unquote soft, I do take umbrage with. And this was the point in our show where I wanted to kind of <laughs> extend, I guess, what you would call a mea culpa of sorts. So I'm going to play it straight. Every now and then, and I think, and I'm, I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth, but I would have to imagine a lot of people who are somewhat public figures do this. I name search every once in a while. Like, I'm curious what people think about the work that I'm doing. So I. I looked at Reddit and I actually saw a thread talking about our episode last week about, you know, rebuilding the team and how we would do it. Thank you, Reddit, for posting our podcast. Please yes. share the show. We love yes. you, Reddit. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and it was interesting because there was a comment thread that started where a Reddit user said that I am um, antagonistic towards Predators fans, that I hate Predators fans, that I that I think they are beneath me, that I am condescending towards them. And no, you're just condescending in general. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's true. My wife might have a different take on that. But I, I was going to um, say, stick around for the story about Valentine's Day. And you, yeah. you <laughs> I have a I have a very snarky sense of humor yeah and that doesn't always translate well to online where there's no tone um people like to tease me for my um frequent use of the upside down smiley face emoji and that's usually my way of being like i'm clearly kidding or i'm being sarcastic and i i have to i deal with the same exact thing i wish there was a sarcasm font yes like, I agree. I, like it's just not that serious guys like right. I, I, imagine us talking you listen to the podcast, so you know how Adam talks, you know how I talk. And if you've ever heard us talk, just imagine our voices right. coming through on the phone and where there's no depth, it's a flat form of communication. Right. And by the way, I you know, I've never been on Reddit before, but I I, I did some name searching. Apparently there was a thread about uh, our show getting canceled, which is kind of cool. I found that today. So I've never seen that before. I got to give a lot of credit to the Reddit folks, man. They they they, they was a very sound, reasonable, logical back and forth discussion, which does not seem to exist on any other social media platform. <laughs> I got to give Reddit credit, man. There was actually some depth there and I appreciated it. And I enjoyed the uh, the back and forth about how much you hate Predators fans. <laughs> well, and, and this is what I want to say, like Predators Twitter and like any 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 Twitter tribe, you know, Vols Twitter, Titans Twitter, whatever. There are fans that get really amped up, and especially when things are going really badly, like they were on Saturday, you know that that uh, vitriol um, can get can get raised, you know, to incredible levels. And 
you know, I want to make sure that people listening who follow me on Twitter, who listen to our podcast, who comment on my stories on The Athletic, who ask me questions for my mailbags, that I absolutely respect and, and, and look forward to hearing all of your opinions. You know, sometimes I can, you know, needle people a little bit, but I don't, I don't mean for it to be condescending or in a, in a manner that's meant to be insulting. Honestly, I just like, I just like getting people riled up sometimes. And, and perhaps I should be better at doing that. I can't imagine, I can't imagine anyone has ever sent a tweet that was just a fan pissed off at their team. That's ever meant to try to rile somebody up. Right. Exactly. We're we're all in the same sewer together here, guys. Right. We're all, we're we're all in the same sewer. Exactly. So I just want predators fans, those who listen to this podcast, those who follow me on Twitter, those who subscribe to the athletic that I absolutely appreciate all of your opinions. I mean, look like the, I wrote a story last week about John Hines that went over like a wet fart. And (laughs) there were more than 130 comments in that story last I checked. And like 30 of them are from me. And it's because I feel like it's important, you know, not just to write the story, but if people have questions or want more, want more, not, you know, more information about my particular point of view, I feel like it is an obligation for me to give it to them. Like I, I wasn't in there dunking on people. I was in there explaining myself and I, and I respect all opinions, even those that disagree with me. So I just want people to know that if I have come across as a condescending douchebag at times, <laughs> it's not personal. It's not my intention. And I hope that you don't hold it against me. I, I, it's funny. I actually sort of hold the same philosophy. If I put out an, a piece of opinion or a take about a coach or a team or whatever it is, and you take the time to respond to me, I feel an obligation to sort of get back with you. And and I don't mean like get back at you. I just mean like have the conversation. Like I'm going to explain myself. It doesn't mean you're going to convince me or that I'm going to convince you, but we also don't have to hate each other at the end of the conversation. Like it can just be people talking about the thing that they love, which is really the whole point of, and I'm, and I'm not trying to like, you know, self promote here, but who, who fucking cares? Like for 440 sports was about people coming together over something that they love with the freedom and the ability to disagree about shit. Like that's the whole point of the show. It's the whole point of the platform. It was the whole mission of the product was to say, look, and in this particular case, we all love the predators. People care about what's going on with the team. You know, let's create a place where we can disagree about it and also be passionate about something that we have a shared interest in. And that's, that's what it's all about. So again, I like, I'm, snar- I'm the same way I'm snarky. I'm probably not as funny as you, but I, you know, but I, I have the I'm same not very funny. I have the same philosophy. Like if I, if you take the time, if you take the time to insult me on Twitter, I think that's <laughs> the greatest thing in the world. Like, I'm like, you just spent time out of your day to pull up your phone and to send me a, a, a tweet that makes me feel bad about myself. Like that is hilarious. Like, I think that's amazing and great and wonderful, but it doesn't mean that you can't, you got to be able to take it too. Like I, I'm going to be able to dish. I got, I, I get the freedom to dish it back out to you as well. So yeah, right. I mean, I just want one last thing I want to say, and then we'll move on. Like, I just want people to understand that like without the support of the predators fan base and, and the desire to hear what I have to say, like this podcast wouldn't exist. Like I wouldn't have been hired by the athletic your support and the community that we've been able to build through various channels, you know, is the reason why I've been able to do this job for almost six years. And, you know, I, I don't, and I understand that. Like if people didn't read what I write 
or want to hear what I have to say, I wouldn't have a job. So like that's so I want so yeah, yeah I yeah. might I might poke at you a little bit from time to time because I like I know like I am a person who gets riled up easily too. So sometimes I like to do it to others. It's nothing personal. It's all out of love. The yes. end. Yeah, and again, being in the media, you just sort of have to be okay with people not liking your opinions. That's just the way it is. That's how that that's how it is. That's part of the job, and and it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and yes, it's exactly why we have this show, and it's why we love that you listen and. We, we genuinely appreciate it. So uh, before we get to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, who's going to talk a lot more about the Nashville Predators and what their plan is moving forward, going to give us a lot of insight into John Hines, by the way, uh, as well. And, and then we'll have some... A some- lifelong Devils fan, Greg is. I'm sure most of you know that, but if you do not, he's from New Jersey, loves the Devils. So and- he has plenty of insight into John Hines. And-, and we'll have a lot of reaction to what he has to say and some optimism in there. Yeah, surprising end. optimism. Surprising optimism at the end. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, but real quickly, you have two pieces up on The Athletic right now. You can follow along. Rene versus Soros, of course, is, is one of them. And then some five five trade options there. Uh, I guess I want to sum, sum them up real quickly because I don't want to take – I want people to go read them. So yes, n- number one, and, and you tell me what you think. Until there is a big move, meaning a big trade, and the Preds signal to everyone, or maybe it's a, a move in the in the front office, which we both believe probably isn't going to happen. But let's say it does. Until there is a signal that the rebuild is beginning, I'm okay with Pekarene playing because then maybe he does give you a chance to get back into the season, go on a a couple of weeks streak of winning some games, and maybe get back into playing. But once there is a signal that they are going into rebuild mode. Uh, UC Saro should be the goaltender playing, in my opinion. So I know that you don't necessarily agree with all of that. But that is how I feel about the goaltending situation because Pekka still is playing pretty well. It's not great, but UC's not great either. Once it's rebuild mode, I want to see UC Saros as much as much as possible. Until that moment, I'm kind of okay with it being however you decide. Whoever gives you the best chance to win on any given night. Right. Well, the the point of my article, the headline is that UC Saros just needs to be the goaltend, the Predators goalie of the immediate future. And you know, my opinion is similar to yours that. If the Predators season begins to go off the rails, they need to ride or die with UC Saros because he's a 25-year-old goaltender versus a 38-year-old goaltender. The air came out of the Pecorine balloon on Saturday. He was not good in the second game against the Red Wings. For as good as he was in the first game, he basically won them that game. And my argument basically is that UC Saros, he's, he's played nearly 130 games. That's starts and appearances. So not just games he started, but games he came in in relief. And he debuted almost, he debuted almost six years ago, which is hard to believe. By now, you kind of know what UC Saros is going to be. And I talked to Brian Boucher, former NHL goaltender, NBC analyst, uh, about his feelings on, on, on UC Saros, which is in the story. But my main argument is that UC Saros does not need to be the next Pecorino. He doesn't need to be the guy who starts 50 or to 60 games a season when we get back to 82 games, hopefully, and be the clear number one. He just needs, he's a serviceable, serviceable goaltender. He can, he can probably start you in an 80 game season, 82 game season, 40 games. You just need to get to Yaroslav Askarov, the Russian goaltender whom they drafted in the first round in October. That's what he apparently is the real deal. He has, he's been great in the KHL. He's got like a 1.5 goals against and like a 950 save percentage in nine games or something like that. If he is truly the goaltender of the future, Askarov, you just need Saros to help you get there. Like, and if the team is struggling, like you can live with Saros. 
or yeah, you cares? can go out. Who cares? And, yeah, and you can go sign, you know, James Reimer or Auntie Ranta or Peter Morazic and have it to a one or two year deal just to have a veteran to play with UC if Pekka were to retire, that is, and then just get to a scar off. Like that's all you need to do is you just need a goaltender. And, and perhaps, you know, by then, you know, a scar off is under contract until 2022. So that's what two seasons from now. And if UC will be in his late twenties, 27, 28, when that happens and Askarov will be in his early twenties. Yeah. He's your veteran. UC can be your veteran backup. Yeah. Like he doesn't need to be the next Pecorino is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that as well. Um, in the short term, if you think Pekka gives you a better chance to win and you, and you start to actually turn the ship around, which none of us believe is going to happen, but <laughs> if it does, then, then I think you have to go with whoever you think gives you the best chance to win. And you said begins to go off the rails. And I kind of laughed to myself and I thought, well, what's been happening? The it last hasn't gone com- like, weeks? it's like, it's teetering. Like, All right. so, like, I don't know what you call like train, like train axles. Like what's the train wheels? I don't know. But like, they're kind of coming off the tracks. Like it's a little wobbly, but it's not <laughs> quite there yet. It like the train hasn't right. turned over yet. It's getting there though. It's a, it's coming to a sharp turn. And if they don't <laughs> slow down, then it's going to go off the tracks. I think that's, I think that's about right. So the trade deadline is April 12th. You threw up an article again. I don't want to give it all away. So go pay for good journalism and go read it. But you basically laid out all the, the, the five big candidates for, for trade. And, and I guess my quick question for you, and I don't want to go through all the, all of these players, because everybody knows who the, who the guys are. The big two are Matias Ekholm and, and Mikhail Granlin. And, and what could you get back for? Let's say you make all of these moves. And, you know, if you were to make all of these moves, I, I mean, you're talking about three or four draft picks, maybe one high draft pick and maybe a prospect or a player. So you could, in theory, start the, you could kickstart the rebuild in a pretty big way. If you were able to find a home for all of these places, all of these guys, excuse me. I just don't know how likely it is that, that that's going to happen. Right. And, you know, just to summarize, I listed the five predators players who I would trade before the deadline to get started on this next phase of the organization. And I, I spoke to multiple rival uh, you know, team, you know, multiple rival pro scouts, as well as a longtime GM, just to get a sense of what the values of these players could be. And I'll give you an example. So Mikhail Granlund is on my list. Um, Mikhail Granlund, you know, my, my colleague at uh, the athletic James Myrtle, who works in Toronto, wrote a story to, uh, I believe it was today. Um, it might've been yesterday about, you know, possible trade options for the Maple Leafs. And Mikhail Granlund is featured prominently in that story. And, you know, in talking with this, you know, panel of scouts and the GM, I was, you know, two trades came to mo- two, two trades came up in the conversation that could serve as blueprints or templates, as you were, as it were, for these trades, uh, for a Grandland trade, excuse me. And it was the Gustav Nyquist trade from Detroit to San Jose and the Matt Zuccarello trade from the New York Rangers to the Dallas Stars. And I believe Nyquist was a second round pick and a conditional third. And Zuccarello was a conditional second and a conditional third, depending on if he re-signed with them or how far the stars went in the playoffs, whatever. Like that to me is a good benchmark for what Mikhail Granlin could be worth because he might be the only player whose value has increased under John Hines. And you know, a lot of teams were interested in him when he was a free agent. He ultimately decided around Christmas to re-sign with the Predators. 
And if you could get a second and a third or a conditional second and a third or whatever, any combination of two draft picks, conditional, non-conditional, unconditional, whatever, like you take that, those deals, you know, those draft picks could mean something like either you use them to draft a player or you use it to continue your quote unquote rebuild. I mean, maybe you use one of those picks and package it with a player with a, with a bad contract to get out of that bad contract. But it, it was interesting to hear how these players are valued around the league. You know, I think Grandland is going to have a lot of interest. Um, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, they're a team that's in, in go-for-it mode right now. I think you could get a good package out of the Maple Leafs of draft picks um, or a prospect um, for a player like Mikhail Grandland. Well, and, and Matthias Ekholm would, would, would fetch a nice return as well. And we will get... Greg Wyshynski's thoughts on all of those players and what they could return and whether or not they should rebuild and John Hines's evaluation through, I don't know, like less than 50 games. Uh, we'll do all of that with Greg Wyshynski coming up in just a few minutes. So uh, make sure you check out Good Journalism with The Athletic. Uh, Adam and I will be back after the interview, of course. We've got lots of reaction and stuff going on uh, as far as uh, the schedule, power rankings, what the Predators got coming up, as well as a Valentine's Day story you weren't, you're going to want to stick around for as well but uh coming Stop up hyping after, it up like it's this huge deal it's a it's big not that big of a deal I, if i showed my wife the tweet i'm pretty sure it would be a big deal did you uh, show your wife the tweet i, I don't want to say appalled was too strong of a word <laughs> that would be that would be me hyping it up but after hearing you explain it i think it it it, it lightened the the impact a little bit but it's still damn worth listening for so, so stick around to the end of the damn show how about that yes and enjoy our conversation with greg Yes, here's a when we come back, our conversation with ESPN's Greg Wachinski. The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers on West End, the elevated sports bar, the next evolution of the sports bar, brought to you, of course, by the wonderful folks at Four Top Hospitality that Nashville has been trusting with their bellies for the better part of 30 years. Deb Paquette, Amerigo, Etch, etc., Char, all these great places. The next one is Jasper's. It's on West End. There's free parking right next to the building. There's 9,000 square feet. There's a, a grab-and-go market. There is a bar. There's a little library lounge area. There's a dining room. All kinds of great stuff. Fabulous menu. It is sort of like you go to you go to a sports bar and you normally eat bad food at sports bars, but like that's not what happens. This is really good food. Mm -hmm. I know that's very articulate of me. That's the best. It's way a classy to joint. Like. Yeah. You Lots could take it, you could go on a date there and you could position yourself so that you could watch sports while your date is talking to you and you're not paying attention. Um, you know, <laughs> wow. those are those are things you could do. I mean, not that I did that. You know, dating for me was hard to come by before I met my wife. Um, I got lucky. Don't, um, don't, don't tell her that. <laughs> Any so, so the gold the gold standard is a cocktail. Yes, it is, which you can also drink at this classy joint, Jasper's. Like if like if you were what I'm what I'm saying though is that like if you were to tell if you were to go on a date and you were to tell them let's go to a sports bar, your your date might be a bit turned off by that. And she might be a big sports fan, and then she does that, then that's great, but she might be a little turned off by that. But if you explain to them that Jasper's has excellent food that you could have at a normal sit-down restaurant but in a more relaxed, casual atmosphere, then perhaps you might pick up some points with uh, with your date. I don't know how dating works in COVID-19 world, so I don't know what, what that means, but, um, you know, I don't know how you score in the pandemic age, but, you know, <laughs> Jaspers can help you score. Jaspers. 
<laughs> the predators are asking the same exact question. There's no. Uh, <laughs> there's no I mean, question, I don't no know. About like, that's like like that is the best. I mean, that to me, that's the best way you can sell a sport, like a spell, a sell, uh, sell a sports bar. It will help you get laid. No, it will help you have a, it will, you'll have a great time with Jasper's. Jasper's. <laughs> oh my God. Last, last week it was tushy grabbing. This week it's helping you get laid. Are you kidding me? Adam, we're trying to. Adam, we've partnered with this company. You know that, like we're like we want people to go to Jasper's and think positive things about Jasper's, well, right? Not, what's what's not positive about that's what true. I said? Touche, my friend. Touche. Go Who to Jasper's. Like go to go go to Jasper's. There's free parking. <laughs> How about that? There's free parking at Jasper's. They, do you think they like my 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 ads for them? Do you think like is there ever going to come a time when they tell you that I can't do the ads anymore? 86 Adam, please, from the advertising. Please, just 86 Adam Vingen, okay? Just no more stories about the French Quarter with his dad going into a hoochie bar. No no we more stories. We didn't go into the hoochie bar. No we, were a, we didn't go into the to the Hustler Club. No, no Rest no, in peace, Larry Flint. No, no, no more stories about tushy grabbing. Oh, our host, our co-host, and co, I guess co-worker on Fringe Element as well is still very pissy at you. For having your own cocktail, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode. I did, but, but the gold standard is a cocktail, and the other shows do not have one yet. So they're still they're, they're, the other hosts are a little bit, you know. Steve Cavendish of Lamestream Sports is really struggling with with a cocktail that we can name after that show because it's named Lamestream. So you know, whatever. Uh, otherwise, go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's and see what happens. Greg, first of all, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time. We, we really appreciate it here on the show. And I guess I'll just start with sort of your broad perception and expectations for the Nashville Predators this season. People seem to be surprised that they're not great at hockey. And I just, I, I'm, I'm sort of curious, are you, how surprised are you that this team is where they are in the standings with very little, you know, excitement to look forward to right now? I mean, I'm, I'm moderately surprised at, you know, some of the, the aspects of the team. I mean, like I, don't I didn't believe the gold hunting would be as bad as it's been. Um, you know, I think the special team struggles for this team are are fairly predictable. Um, but I, you know, this is a, a reckoning, right? Like, like we've all seen this coming down the pike where a few years ago this group looked like they were primed to challenge for a cup um because of the age of the core and the fact that they had so much cap flexibility yada 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 and then it hasn't come to pass there's clear regression on the roster and you know the idea that maybe it's time to kind of rethink this a little bit uh has arrived uh, pretty pretty clearly greg those of those of us who know you, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure everybody knows Greg. Those, everybody knows that you are a lifelong New Jersey Devils fan. And Predators fans are getting what we will affectionately call the John Hines experience. Um, so I am curious to hear your opinion on one. Are you seeing certain parallels from John's tenure in New Jersey that are taking place in Nashville? And two, 
Is there anything perhaps he's doing differently for the better that you're seeing him uh, employing with the Predators that perhaps he wasn't with the Devils? Well, on the second part, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the rap on Hines and, you know, the the two raps on Hines when he left the Devils were that um, he couldn't really get anything out of them offensively and um, that he would give ice time to players down the lineup in situations where maybe you'd rather have your best skill guys on the ice. And now I haven't watched Nashville close enough to know if the second trend has continued. I know that it definitely was a gripe during his run with the predators that, you know, why is X guy getting this amount of ice time while, you know, like Philip Forsberg isn't kind of stuff. I've, I've seen that be a thing during his time in Nashville. But obviously the offensive rap is, is quite prevalent. I mean, you know, 29th in the league in goals per game. Uh, his, his offensive system in Jersey left that team disjointed and, uh, and, and ineffective uh, a lot of times. And um, I think you're seeing the same thing play out here uh, where there's, you know, there's offensive talent on this roster, maybe not enough, but uh, the system with which they play has certainly not lent itself to maximizing the return in that investment in offense because it's just unacceptable to be as uh you know to be one Detroit Red Wings and one Anaheim Ducks away from being the worst offensive team in hockey is there anything though to the fact that and you can please correct me if I'm wrong that the the team that John coached in New Jersey minus the team he had last season before he was fired there weren't very high expectations for those teams. And if it weren't for Taylor Hall, you know, you know, playing Superman during his heart trophy season, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs then either. So is it, is it, I mean, I'm wondering how fair it is to evaluate John on certain things about his previous time in, in New Jersey, considering where that team was and what that team was versus what Nashville is supposed to be. Sure. I mean, you know, there, there's obviously, I mean, that's why, you know, he, he lost one job and took the other, right? Cause it's a better, it's a better situation, but it still doesn't change the fact that if you go back to Heinz's first season in New Jersey and then go throughout his entire tenure there before he lost his job, you'll, you'll never guess where the devils rank in offense during that time. Spoiler it's 29th. Um, <laughs> the in the which is exactly where Nashville is now. And, and yeah, like there was certainly a, a disparity in talent during his time there. I mean, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of depth. They were a team that was rebuilding when he came aboard and then entered a second rebuild after he left. I mean, that's the, the fact of it. And, and, you know, it's sort of an indictment of Ray Shiro's tenure there as well. So he wasn't coaching great teams. That being said, again, they're still 29th in offense during his time in New Jersey. And it, it's hard to really, you know, uh, scare up a defensive of his offensive system when you see the same results now in two different tour stops. Is it f- fair to evaluate a coach in less than 50 games with two stoppages in between and no training camp? Like, like Preds fans are, are blaming him for a lot and, and he's in charge. He's the head coach, but like, can you accurately evaluate a guy in that small amount of a window, or is it the New Jersey stuff that also allows you to evaluate him? No, I, I mean, I think he's got a track record, but I also think it doesn't matter if you think he did a bad job in 50 games. He's not going anywhere, like unless the GM goes someplace. 
because I mean, he's, he's got a contract, right? Um, so, and besides like firing Hines does what to this roster? Because to me, that's the real issue right now is the, the you have parts of the core that are no longer performing at the same rate that they were previously. In particular, obviously, everybody knows the Ryan Johansson issues before the injury. I mean, you know, the, the, the chitter chatter about him getting chipped out of town was was loud and rightfully so, because I don't think he necessarily is is the player that, you know, they're paying him to be any longer. Um, so I don't think firing high firing Hines might do something depending on who you bring in. But overall, I think the the classic debate when uh, things go poorly for a franchise is coaching versus construction. And I mean, if you look at this roster right now, despite some intriguing additions in the off season, like Eric Walla, for example, uh, I still think it's a problem with construction. Which brings us to David Poyle. And he's obviously the guy in charge of all of that stuff. And, and I think many people believe this could be his last season, will be his last season. Maybe he gracefully fades away into a new role at the end of the year. You know, his legacy will age well, obviously, but my question for you is, do, do you trust David Poyle to, if you are going to go into rebuild mode and he is going to no longer be the GM at the end of the year, do you trust him to acquire assets, make the moves that you'd want this team to do in order to make, to start that rebuild? Or do you have to remove him from the equation immediately in the middle of the season and bring in a new face to start to sort to, to make those moves? Does that make sense? It, it does. Um, you know, obviously his legacy is uh, he's the winningest general manager of all time without having actually won anything. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, no, I, I'm, you know, if he wants to kind of put the scalpel into this team and, and, and cut out some stuff now, that's fine. I, I don't know how easy that's going to be considering the, the border issue uh, cuts off some of the teams in this league from maybe being, uh, you know, active, um, participants in the trade deadline. And I don't know how easy it's going to be when over half the league is capped out right now. I mean, I, the, it's the same situation the Penguins are facing with Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. It's like, it's cool to come in and say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, Z and turn the team around. It's a whole other thing when, you know, because of the restriction of assets that they have both in draft picks and in, in prospects, they're looking at money in, money out trades. Um, and that could end up being what the Predators are, are looking at, too, because of, of the cap situation around the league. So I don't mind if he starts the process, but I think ultimately what you'd like to see is a fresh set of eyes on on this roster to kind of really figure out what parts you want to keep and what parts you want to jettison. And, and to that point, Greg, today I, I wrote a story listing the five players who I believe should be on the move before the deadline. And I specifically uh, focused on players on expiring contracts or on short-term deals or players with not much term left on their contracts. And the top two players on my list, two, number two was Mikhail Granlund and number one was Matthias Ekholm. Um, if, if you are planning on starting a quote-unquote rebuild, trading a player like Matthias Ekholm, a foundational player for several years is one way to start doing that. As you look at this roster and you, and you keep in mind all of those things you're talking about, particularly the financial landscape, who in your mind is the most valuable in-season trade ship that the Predators have if they are serious about changing the complexion of this roster? Well, Ekholm's in-season, Ekholm would make a lot of sense because of the term on his contract. 
Um, no doubt about that. I, I do wonder though, like ultimately what, whatever this team decides to do, um, it really depends on, on how they view the rebuild because, you know, there are different levels of rebuild, right? Like you have your total teardown, you have your, we like some of our pieces, but don't like some others. So we're going to just kind of get younger and retool a little bit. And so it really comes down to how deep they want to cut. Um, and, and to that point, I mean, if you really wanted to take a critical look at it, how many completely protected guys are on this roster right now? Like players you would not move for anything. For me, that's Yossi because you can't. Um, and then it's Forsberg because I don't want to, and there might be a few others, but like you look at a player like Ryan Ellis, who I love, like, I think Ryan Ellis is a tremendous player and, and one of the best defensemen in the league. He's also signed through 2027. He also doesn't have trade protection and he has a ton of value. So if you were going to really start cutting deeply into this roster, reshaping it, maybe you go in the tank for a couple of years. I mean, wouldn't he be on the table in theory at 30 years old? I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that really the only untouchable on the roster is, is Roman Yossi because he has the power in this situation. I mean, I, I think I keep, I, I keep Forsberg too. Like, unless okay, you were yeah, I mean, I, I would probably do that. Unless, and, and the only reason you don't keep Forsberg is if you're convinced that he's gone in 2022, yeah. like, you know, cause he's got two years left on his deal. If, if, if you don't think he's coming back, then by all means, show, show him the door, improve your team. But if you think that you can get him on another contract after that, when he's like 28 or 29, then I, I think him and Roman are the two guys you keep around. Yeah, I think it's it's Ellis and Arvidsson that are sort of the, the I don't know what you call it, the line of demarcation, right? Like I think yeah. everybody, every, everybody <laughs> below them is on the table, including Duchesne and Johansson, which of course are going to be more difficult to move. But it's it's Yossi and Forsberg, and then it's sort of the con- like okay, is it going to be Arvidsson and Ellis? And I think that's where the debate is. A- after that, it's which center can you give to Seattle, right? Like if you right. had to p- if you had to pick Matt Duchesne or Ryan Johansson, and you're a Predators fan, who are you trying to keep, and who are you trying to give to Seattle in the expansion draft? You're probably trying to give away Johansson, but you'd you'd have to sweeten it somehow, you know, as as uh, teams in the past have done in, in trying to make these moves with. Uh, with, uh, you know, expansion rosters. Um, I do, I think you should trademark the Ellis Arvidsson line. That's a good, that's a good, <laughs> it's like the Mason Dixon line, but different. I think that's, a, you know, going forward, you might want to use that as, as your, uh, it your, does your roll off the tongue. <laughs> uh, all, right, all right. I'll just, I'll throw this one in there for the fans then as we let you go here, Greg. And that is, I, I think there's clearly a sign, like there'll be a sign that they're either going down this path or not, right? There'll be a trade. There'll be a decision about the front office. There'll be something that comes if they continue to play this poorly. The only hope for any of this stuff is that they magically figure out a, a way to creep back into playoff contention. It, it, percentage chance that that's a thing that could happen for this team. Oh, I'd say 60%. I mean, think of it this way, right? The Central Division right now has a Tampa Bay team that we know is great, a Florida team that might be actually a lot better than we thought, a Carolina team that we know is great. Okay, so let's say that the Panthers continue to be as good as they've looked in the early part of this season. Okay, so you seed three of these playoff spots to these three teams. Um, Chicago, I mean, for for all the of, of the work that they've done, it's still a 588 points percentage team, right? So they're good, but not great. 
Columbus is a mess. Um, Dallas is a formidable team, but I'm never really sold on them completely, to be honest with you. Um, and, and then you have the Predators, who are going to obviously be better than Detroit, one would hope. So a little streak inside a division where every game is a, is a four-point swing. Um, you may still be able to get within sniff and distance of, of the fourth spot, uh, assuming that, you know, three of the spots are spoken for. But I mean, like the percentage chance of that happening, the odds of that happening, I agree, are, are long, um, but not insurmountable. If, there, uh, if, th- if there you go, Preds sense. fans, we'll leave, we'll leave it on optimistic well, high note. There's a well, chance. I mean, <laughs> listen, it's not optimistic. I mean, Money Puck has the Predators as a 15% chance of making the playoffs. It's the third lowest for any team. So, I mean, it's yeah. a big mountain to climb. And, and in, in all honesty, you know, the conversation should be much more uh, about uh, the, uh, um, you know, the rebuild and, and what comes next. But, um, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not, I mean, look, after what we saw the Blues do two years ago, I mean, anything's possible. It's just may not be possible with the current state of the of the predators that's that's the new blueprint be in last place fire your coach rookie goaltender that's the new window <laughs> uh greg always a pleasure man tell everybody where they can find you what you got going on this week and all the good stuff that you're doing oh yeah uh espn um also the puck soup podcast uh with me and down goes brown and and brian lambert and on uh, espn this week we've got cool stuff we uh emily kaplan and i just dropped a big long story about the nhl and covid and and how the league is is doing um, with all of that postponed games, rescheduling, rapid testing, and also kind of getting a sense of of where the players' heads are at on a lot of that stuff too. Which uh, you know, the good news is about seventy five percent of them are masked masked up and social distancing. And the bad news is that nobody thinks that they uh, are going to get sick or or be any worse for having gotten sick. <laughs> so that's always a tough it's a t- tough messaging for the NHL to convince a bunch of strapping young uh healthy athletes that uh, they have to worry about a disease that they all seem to recover pretty quickly from yeah the other 25 percent are in a hotel room with alex ovechkin and evgeny <laughs> <laughs> oh man your and reaction that's russian players must have been awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that story was was pretty crazy but again like i think you know one of the takeaways from from our story is that um although these Cases can sometimes pile up and it seems like the season's careening off, uh, off its, uh, its, its, its rails. Um, you know, there's only a finite number of teams, maybe half a dozen that have been severely impacted by COVID insofar as having to cancel and postpone games and practices and stuff. And the lists look a lot worse than they actually are because they just group everybody under the same umbrella. So even if you're just contact tracing somebody, they're on the same list as somebody that's tested positive. So the numbers for the NHL look a hell of a lot worse than I think they, they are. Um, but that doesn't mean that they, everybody should be, uh, you know, resting on their laurels about where the season could be headed. Well, let's all just get back to licking each other's faces. It'll be great. Greg, <laughs> always, always a pleasure. My friend, of course, one of the best in the business. We do appreciate it. Thank you for your time, man. Thanks, Anytime. Greg. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Greg Wyshynski, of course, of ESPN.com. He mentioned all the great work that he's doing there uh, with Emily Kaplan. Great story. Always, always love when the two of them get together and, and put some stuff together. It's always really, really good. So, Adam, I don't know. He did give us, a, the Predators fans there, just a minor 
we, you know, we spent 15 minutes talking about all the bad stuff and all the things that, you know, you and I have been spending a lot of time talking about, but there was that glimmer of, oh, sure, they could probably get better. You know, a nice little streak for a week and all of a sudden, boom, you're back in the playoffs. There you go, Preds fans. There's your optimism here. Your moment, your moment of Zen, if it were, if it were. He was more optimistic than I thought he would be after hearing all of the things he was saying at the beginning <laughs> of the interview. Certainly more optimistic than I am. Um, but Greg, you know, as as listeners know, you know, does a phenomenal job covering the league, has done so for a very long time. The original Puck Daddy at Yahoo Sports, now at ESPN, the Puck Soup podcast with the athletic Sean McIndoe, as well as Ryan Lambert, is excellent. Must listen every week, along with the gold standard, of course. Um, you should have it in your rot- your hockey podcast rotation. Yes, um, yes. Very, very much enjoy it. What do you think about moving Ryan Ellis? You know, the Ellis Arvidsson line, as he said, you know, that that line of demarcation is is interesting because you can you consider, you know, what Ryan we talked about what Matias Ekholm has meant for this franchise. You know, Ryan Ellis has played just as big of a role, if not slightly bigger. I mean, he's the quote unquote associate captain for a reason. And they had such respect for him that they created a title for him that didn't exist before or very rarely or very rarely existed, if that is such a thing. Well, um, I feel like David Poyle's going to get one of those, too. Like, I think I think David Poyle could could, you know, director of chocolate operations at Bridgestone <laughs> Arena. He does love chocolate. Um, so director of chocolate operations doesn't sound like that bad of a job. I, w- I would um, do it. Someone in Hershey, Pennsylvania probably has that job. And that sounds like a pretty great job. What what about uh what about the contract? It sounds like he's he's of the belief that a fresh pair of eyes needs to be on the roster in the GM role, but that John Hines isn't going anywhere. That the contract is there and that that you've just hired him and that he's not and I don't know if Preds fans want to hear that, but he seemed pretty stern on that. Well, you also have to consider the as I said when we were talking about player movement, the financial landscape in the NHL and life in general, because of the pandemic. John Hines is under contract through the end of next season. Um, So if he is fired before then, the Predators are on the hook for his remaining salary, unless another team were to hire him. For example, I believe that Peter Laviolette had one more year on his contract when the Predators fired him. And they were on the hook for his remaining salary until the Washington Capitals hired him. And then the caps basically took over the rest of the, of of the remaining salary. So this is not a time in which teams can pay people not to coach or play for them. Those, that money that they're not paying Kyle Turris to sit on their salary cap is more difficult for them to swallow right now because of the financial landscape of our world, not just of the NHL, even though NHL franchises are multi-million dollar. And in the cases of a couple of teams, billion dollar franchises, they are still losing money by not playing in front of fans and by playing a 56 game schedule. So there isn't a lot of free cash or dead money, as we like to call it in sports to pay to, for, to pay someone not to work for you. Um, so that is something to consider. And I, I think one thing that fans do need to keep in mind, and, and we and you asked this of Greg about specifically about David Poyle. A lot of fans have tweeted at me and commented on my stories about the Predators cannot, and we talked about this last week, the Predators 
cannot trust David Poyle to be the one in charge of this quote unquote rebuild, that they need somebody else to step in. Well, how many times can you think of a team guiding its hockey operations department or its you know, football operations department or basketball operations department in the middle of a season? You know, the likelihood of that happening is slim. So I would say that odds are that David Poyle will be in charge of this team at the trade deadline. And as we discussed last week, it might have to be a directive from above where his hands are basically tied um, and he is told what to do, or he has to just understand what's best for the franchise, even if he is not going to be in his role, you know, sooner rather than later. Again, that's pure speculation, but uh, the idea of the Predators making a GM change within the next six weeks leading into the trade deadline is, is somewhat far-fetched. Yeah, I yeah. mean, any, anything could happen, I'm not, but I, the likelihood of that happening is slim. So I, I think that's one thing that those, the, the, those of you who are listening who do not trust David Poyle to be in charge of the early stages of a t- potential rebuild – that might just be what happens. Um, but, <laughs> yep, you know, yep. I, it, it is it is hard to say. Well, we appreciate uh, Greg for joining us. And uh, obviously, everybody who's out there listening, we do appreciate it. Please rate, review, subscribe, share, tell the show or tell everybody about the show. We do appreciate it real quickly here, as we do at the end of every episode. Uh, we'll take a look at the schedule. We've got uh, before the next time we, we talk to you guys, there's going to be a couple far less games to talk about this time, Adam, after the cancellations, but a couple yep. of games with Columbus on the road over this weekend. And then you'll get one with Detroit before we're back with you next Wednesday. I, I don't know what you want to see out of this team. It's three, three road games against teams that are bad. So like points maybe would be good goals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Greg touched on it. Columbus is a bit of a mess right now. The predators have not seen Columbus since the first two games of the season. You know, since that happened, they traded Pierre-Luc Dubois they acquired Patrick Line and Jack Roslevic. And Roslevic, by the way, is, is the better player of those two so far. I feel like he is having more success on the ice than Patrick Line. And we talked about this last week, Patrick Line being benched for uh, insubordination, we'll say, um, <laughs> with, with the member of the coaching staff. Um, but they're, they're still a good team, um, a, as we know. Um, but they are a bit, uh, they are a bit, uh, as let's, well, they're a mess as Greg yeah, said. Yeah, I was going to say. Just... They're not on solid footing right now. They, they, and they, need, they need points and goals. How about that? <laughs> they need points and goals. And look, the game, and we talked about this at the start of the show, the game against Detroit on Saturday for a lot of Predators fans was rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, they, it was an, an incredibly listless performance against one of the few teams in the league that's worse than they are. And, you know, they, I remember last season, they lost to the Red Wings. I think it was the second game of the season. And I can't remember the score. It might've been, I think it was a shutout. I think it was two, nothing or three, nothing in their second game of the season. And then a couple of weeks later, they go to Detroit and they won like six to one or seven to one or something like that. It was a blowout. And I feel like the Predators almost need a game like that to erase the memory of that game on Saturday. 5-3 loss, second game of the season, and then came back um, about a month later and won 6-1 to one in Detroit. Okay. I feel like... The, you're, I you're, pretty the game, co- you're pretty close. I thought the game in Nashville might have been a shutout, but 5-3 is better than I thought. But the point being that the yes. only way you're going to get that taste out of your mouth if you are a Predators player or a Predators fan 
is to beat the living crap out of the Detroit Red Wings in the week and a half or yep. whatever it is, a week. Yeah, um, so, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Like, I feel like they need to, they need to get points in all three games, whether it's a win or an overtime loss or whatever, they need to get points in all of the games. And I think they need a statement win against Detroit. I feel, I know that seems like a really silly thing to say, but after <laughs> the way they played against them, in these two games and keep in mind the game on Thursday, as we discussed, they won, but it wasn't pretty. They were in a dog fight right. with the Red Wings throughout the entire game. And if not for Pecorine, you know, drinking from the fountain of youth for that night, they yeah. probably would have yeah. lost big. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I feel like the only way Predators fans will feel good is if, you know, if they go to the, Red Wings and curb stomp them, you well, know, that, for lack of a better term. That that was a thing that Lavi's teams did do, though, on occasion, right? That they would just blow up, blow the top off the building, and win a couple of games, and give you all that hope back again because they would score five, five or six goals or something. Or, I mean, remember, or whatever, remi- so. remember the game last season in December in on Long Island against the Islanders. Right. I mean, was it eight to two, eight yeah, to yeah. one, something, something like that? Like they're capable of it. I mean, you know, it's, and that was a Peter coach team. That was before he was fired, but you know, they're capable. They, they, they do have it within them to do that. <laughs> it's up to them to figure it out. Yes. Uh, so I have one personal question about you and sure. your Valentine's day weekend in just, <laughs> but quickly let's wrap up. Of course, with the power rankings in the division, are you still riding the Blackhawks? Are you still, I am because they continue are? to play very well. You just heard Greg Wyshynski just totally sandbag them. Come on. I'm not saying that they are a team that's going to end up making the playoffs or finishing in the top three of the central division, but they're getting points almost, almost every game over the past couple of weeks. All it's, right, how- hard, it's hard not to, I mean, look, I, we talked about this last week. I'm sort of a prisoner of the moment when it comes to power rankings okay. and the Blackhawks are piling up points. So I give them credit for that. Yeah. They've played a lot more games than the other teams. So, uh, all right, here's the deal. I, I, I've got Tampa one, Carolina two. I have not moved on that since the beginning of the, the year. I'll put Florida at three, and then I struggled. I, 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 I sort of went along with you, and I put Chicago at four. I still, I still think Dallas is better than their, their record indicates and how they're playing, and it might have actually been a bad thing that they got the games canceled, the Preds, because the Dallas has lost five straight. I'll go Dallas five, Columbus six, Nashville seven, Detroit eight. What you got? I'll, I'll continue to have Tampa at number one. I'm going to have Florida at number two because they beat the lightning. I think twice um, in the past week, as Greg said, the Panthers are a team that I didn't expect a whole lot from. I mean, I expected them to be in that mix for that fourth playoff spot with the predators. And I think the blue jackets, but you know, they're according to my handy NHL app here, nine, two and two, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, and if you good. beat the lightning, which is not hard, to, which is not easy to do rather, it's hard to do, not easy to do. I will give them credit for that. So I will have Tampa one, Florida two, Carolina three, Chicago four, Columbus five, Dallas six, Nashville seven, Detroit eight. So basically the actual standings of the central division <laughs> is what my power rankings are. I believe uh, you you refer to it as prisoner of the moment. I believe it's a second ago. Yes. So, all right. Well, uh, obviously we want to thank our wonderful sponsor Jaspers for being a part of the program. Uh, of course, make sure you're checking out that great and wonderful and amazing eatery over there on West End. The next evolution of 
of the, of the sports bar, all of the vibes of your neighborhood watering hole, except for like a menu by Deb Paquette, which is amazing. Free parking, tons of space to be safely distanced and socially distanced and all that good stuff. We have a cocktail, of course, the gold standard. So make sure you go and order that. I got a couple of texts, Adam, from some people taking pictures of themselves. That's great. Post it on social media. If Did you they go, enjoy it? They did, of course, obviously. Um, kind of stupid. Well, of course. That. Go and, and if you go to the gold standard, if you go to Jasper's and you order a gold standard, post a picture, tag Jasper's, tag tag four forty sports, uh, tag Adam if you want. That's fine. He he <laughs> he loves his menchies. Uh, it's always good there. And of course, they are an official partner of the Nashville Predators and, and our title sponsors. So go check them out. Jasper's on West End. Here's my question: I want to leave you with Adam. Mm-hmm. There was a Twitter conversation between you and your wife about Valentine's Day. <laughs> okay. And I would like to know, I'd like to go right to the source. Can you confirm that you bought your wife a pair of shoes for Valentine's Day the week before Valentine's Day and then on Valentine's Day told her that the gift you gave her days ago was actually her Valentine's Day gift? Did you have the balls to do that? It didn't necessarily play out that way, but (laughs) I I did assist her in, in, in buying a pair of shoes that she's wanted for a very long time. So she saved up most of the money. I just put her over the top. So that perhaps was my Valentine's Day gift. That quote tweet that I sent out with her <laughs> saying, if you're mad at Adam, just know that he he said that a pair of shoes he helped me buy last week was my Valentine's Day gift. I quote tweeted and replied, this quote tweet is my Valentine's Day gift. Because she likes when I interact with her tweets because she wants the mentions and the likes and the retweets. So that I gave her that sense of satisfaction. Uh, oh my! Oh, you're was, so romantic. Yes. Look, and, <laughs> I don't know Valentine's Day is a bit. It's a bit overrated as a. Oh, I hate it. I I hate it. People who are listening to this, who are married or in long-term relationships, even those of you who are single, Valentine's Day, you know, sort of takes on a level of importance very early in relationships, but like. Once you're married, like every day should be like Valentine's Day. So you don't need a a specific day to profess your love for your partner. Um, I I am married to my wife because we don't like Valentine's Day together. We we, we hate it's a a marketing holiday that is sold to you to spend money on a variety of objects that you don't need. Here's the here's the deal. Just buy your wife some flowers like randomly on a Tuesday in July and then again in like October and you don't have to do anything on Valentine's Day. Like my wife and I don't celebrate our anniversary. We don't get each other gifts. We don't, we do like the $30 limit for Christmas gifts. We're just not big into like the the calendar forcing us to spend money on each other. Like, like you said, we tell each other, we love each other every day. So I know it's cheesy, but like, why do I need some marketer's holiday that's been fabricated out of thin air to make me spend money on stuff that we don't actually care about that much? And this year we were all snowed in. So it worked out great. (laughs) I will say this before, before we go. I was watching last night the uh, the first episode of the new season of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, um, and in between his opening segment and his main segment, he has a segment called "And Now This." I know where you're and, going with this, and he always has something really silly, and it's usually something related <laughs> to local news coverage. And this time it was like about food based bouquets, yes. so it was like, "Here's a Maine lobster claw bouquet." It like of like local news coverage of like here's a beef jerky bouquet here's a, a chicken tender bouquet a buff, buffalo wing bouquet a salami bouquet a salami bouquet and I, it made me laugh because 
you know, look, we all like those things. I don't know if I want to be handed a collection of beef jerky or kielbasa <laughs> in the form of a bouquet. Meat, I would just like to eat it. Bu- oh, meat bouquet. More like death by bouquet is what it is. <laughs> yes. That's a bouquet I would like to catch. Yes, there you go. Uh, all right, man. Everybody out there, thank you for uh, listening. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe. Pay for good journalism at The Athletic. We appreciate Greg Wyshynski for joining us as well. We really do appreciate him. Uh, I love talking with that guy every time we, we talk with him. Adam, you can where can people follow you? And what do you got coming up on the site? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingen, of course, and at theathletic.com. Uh, as we discussed earlier in the show today, I had a story where I ranked my five trade candidates who should be moved before the April 12th deadline on Monday. I also had a story about UC Soros and how he does not need to be the goalie of the future, just the immediate future. Um, so follow those stories. If there is one story I suggest you read that was not written by me, you should go on to The Athletic today and read Katie String's excellent investigative report on the state of the Arizona Coyotes and their, and their oh. ownership group and their management. Um, I believe she has been working on this story since September and it was released today. Um, in my opinion, there may not be an investigative reporter in the sports journalism world who is more thorough than Katie Strang. Um, it's an excellent read. Anytime her name is on the story, you have to read it. This is what I will say to Predators fans. If you think it's bad, read this story. <laughs> it's much worse. It could be much worse. So if you, if you think that the state of the Predators franchise management whatever is is tough go read this arizona coyote story and get back to me because it could be much worse yes there there's no question about that pay for good journalism folks no question about it for adam vingan my name is Braden gall our wonderful sponsor jaspers of course go check them out over on west end and drink a gold standard cocktail while you're at it just drive very very slowly easy on the brakes easy on the gas take your time test out the traction just be very careful everybody's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay i promise predators who knows but driving around you're gonna be fine adam always a pleasure my friend my name is braden gall thank you all for listening this has been the gold standard on the 440 sports network